Hey everybody, welcome back to Arteco, the show where we interview artists who use technology in creative and forward-thinking ways. On this week's episode, we spoke with Sarah Bell Reed, the trumpet performer and composer who just released a new project, Mass. Yeah, we had some really awesome conversation with her talking about um, how she designs a lot of her electronic pieces and some of the max patches she's worked on with different collaborators and just all around some very, very interesting conversation about her creative process. And I think you guys are going to enjoy a lot. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting hearing more from the behind the scenes of how she kind of makes this electroacoustic music. I feel like that's a perspective that you don't really hear a lot about. So yeah, we're really excited for you to hear this episode. So let's get right into it. Hi, welcome back to Art Techo, the show where we have conversations with artists who use technology in creative and forward-thinking ways. I'm your host, Nick Royal. And I'm your host, Sean Porio. And today we're joined by performer and composer Sarah Bell-Reed to talk about her new Mass EP that just came out. So Sarah, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. <laughs> um, so I guess just to start off uh, totally in the, in the broad, I guess you are uh, a trumpet performer, a trumpet composer who makes, I guess, sort of electroacoustic music, I guess you, you could call it. Um, yeah. So I guess coming from a kind of classical, more traditional music background, how did you get into making electroacoustic music? How did you get into making the, the kind of stuff that you make now? Well, I, um, I guess very slowly and very quickly at the same time is kind of the answer. I, like you said, I come from a very traditional classical trumpet playing background, um, and I didn't really know about electronic music or synthesizers or any of that stuff until I was doing my graduate studies. Um, mm -hmm. And I just got introduced to a whole bunch of people who were doing amazing work in that field. And I, I also, there was a studio at that school that had a couple of old modular synths um, that I had access to use. And that was just totally amazing because I could get my hands on these things and start to play with them. And I I was always really interested in combining those worlds together, my trumpet playing world with all of these new electronic sounds. So that's why I'm mostly focused on an electroacoustic practice where I'm really blending all of these instruments together. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a very um, unique combo, trumpet and synthesizers. <laughs> and before you were getting involved with electronics, were you doing composing before that as well? Not really, actually. I was very much a trumpet performer. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I was studying to do orchestral trumpet playing or maybe to work as a soloist playing classical music. Um, and like I said, when I, when I started my grad studies, it was such a, just a, a wonderful place and time for me. It was exactly what I needed creatively at that moment. Um, because mm -hmm. not only was I meeting all these people who were, you know, amazing electronic musicians, but there were. Uh, it was just a very rich community. So there were people improvising, which was something I was totally new to and was convinced I couldn't do, you know, <laughs> until I was like, wait, yeah. I mean, I don't know. And same thing with composing. You know, I remember the first time that I ever actually was like, yeah, I'm a composer. And I had been writing music um, kind of secretly 
for a little while and yeah. not letting it see the light of day. And then all of a sudden it just slipped out once. And a couple of my really good friends were like, huh, look what you just said. <laughs> You're a composer. But that was also, you know, into my grad studies, like a year in or something. Mm-hmm. So, mm. yeah. So I guess um, talking more about your grad studies and and coming into contact with synths and electronic music, um, like when you were first kind of seeing this world uh, tangentially through the, just the environment you were in, what was it that first kind of caught your attention about synths? Like what, what was kind of the first moment where you realized as a trumpet player that maybe you wanted to start exploring electronic music? The first moment, I remember it very clearly, actually. It was in a concert in the middle of the night, like at, God, it was late. It was like midnight or something. And it was a concert called Quiet Night. And it was full. It was just a whole program of very quiet music. And it was in this big open gallery space that was just like a massive open room. And people were lying down on the floor and they had pillows. And it was not a traditional concert hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hours and hours and hours of music. And someone named Ryan Gaston, who then became one of my closest collaborators, um, played a little tiny like laptop sized modular synth, a Eurorack system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he played this beautiful, very quiet, very amazing set of music, of improvised music. And I had never even seen one of these instruments before. So I was totally perplexed and bewildered and mesmerized, as I think often people are when they see an um, analog synth for the first time. Mm-hmm. All those patch cables, just the, the exactly. colors and the shapes. All the col- blinking lights and the spaghetti. And you're like, wow, this is just like my sci-fi movie dreams come mm-hmm. true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I ran up to him. I literally ran up to him after his set and was just like, we need to play a duo. Let's do trumpet mm. and synth because that's a combination I'd never heard of before. And I was just so excited about it. And so that's where it started. I actually... My introduction to that world was by being the acoustic counterpart of a electronic acoustic duo where he was playing mm-hmm. modular synth and I was playing trumpet. Mm-hmm. And I guess at that time, were you still like playing trumpet to play trumpet and like the kind of two paths has never crossed? Yeah, I well, yeah, exactly. I was really excited by the sounds that could come out of his instrument. Mm-hmm. So I started to try to create them on my trumpet. And that's when I started to explore some of the more unusual ways of playing the trumpet, like focusing on air sounds or even putting water inside the instrument Mm -hmm. um, and singing and playing at the same time. I mean, all of these different techniques that were to me were different ways of trying to make my trumpet sound like I was filtering it or I was like running it through like a ring modulator and different Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, Yeah. And that was that was sort of how I built up my initial vocabulary of being an electronic musician was by playing trumpet. And then eventually, and that's why I said very gradually and very quickly, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> eventually I actually started to learn how these things worked. Um, but that wasn't until quite some time later. Mm. Um, at what point did you start to develop your your current trumpet configuration? Because if, if people look on your YouTube channel, your trumpet has all these wires and sensors on it. And it looks like you've kind of you've turned the trumpet almost into like a totally new instrument. And you you have this system that you call the the Mixies system that you've added um, right. that kind of turns your trumpet more into an electronic instrument. How did you start uh, developing that? And what was kind of the the thought process behind incorporating all these electronics into your trumpet? Yeah, that was around the same time. Um, I was so I was taking a class um, that was teaching some basic 
audio programming and I was pretty lost. I was I was doing my best. We were learning Chuck just in case anyone is you know curious or knows mm-hmm. what that is. Um, but what was cool was that I was making sound on a computer for the first time. And then around that same time, I I was doing some research and I discovered um, some work that that had been done by some amazing people at um, the University of Victoria. And mm-hmm. they had developed this sensing system that you could put onto a trumpet that allowed you to basically detect valve movement, valve displacement using optical sensors. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is so cool. I don't know what any of these <laughs> words are, but the fact that this is possible, it just, you know, seemed like the coolest thing you could possibly do to a trumpet at that point in my life. So I took it to one of my teachers and said, I want to do this. Can I can I expand this? And he was like, yeah, figure it out, (laughs) which was like (laughs) the catchphrase of that time in my life. People were like, sure, I support you, but figure it out. Kind of of new Um, territory. No no one's really mm -hmm. sure exactly what to do with that. Yeah. They're like, yes, I'm not going to say it's not possible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I just... At that point, I had sort of decided I was going to do this. I I had no electrical engineering background, no computer science background. I had just made like a sine wave go beep in an audio programming language for the first time Mm -hmm. a couple days before. That's how green I was with all of this. But um, luckily, you know, the direction that I there was a couple really amazing things that happened. One is that it turns out a lot of this sensor kind of DIY microcontroller building world is open source. And so there's a ton oh, of yeah. information online yeah. that you can find. Yeah. And that was really cool. And there's a big <laughs> community of wonderful, nerdy folks who are excited to share what they've learned mm. um, to help you with projects. So that was really great. And then the other thing was that um, my new modular synth friend, Ryan Gaston, was also really excited to work on this project with me. He was an ex-trumpet player. So there was oh, some common... Uh, yeah, it was a co- just a wonderful coincidence. And so we worked on this together, which helped a lot because then it was two heads rather mm-hmm. than one. <laughs> and that was it. We just basically did a lot of web, you know, forum crawling where we were like, I think we need this sensor. You know, now we have to learn about how it works and pull this starter code and mm-hmm. hopefully it will spit out numbers. And it was a very slow process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask about in in sort of the both the programming and additionally in the sort of modular synth world, especially when someone's sort of like just getting started, you're faced with like what is kind of musically almost like the ultimate blank page where it's like not only do you not know what maybe you're going to compose, but like you don't even know where to start plugging things in um, and sort of what's possible. So and I think, you know, where where people get their sort of foundational first patches to play with can be really uh influential so do you want to talk about sort of your what the very first kind of patches were looking like and what your very first um sort of uh, adventures into this world um were like for you sure um you're it's a it's a really good point uh there's a lot and for when we were developing out migsy in particular you know the way that migsy works is there are a bunch of sensors attached to the trumpet and those basically give out just raw data mm-hmm. readings, just streams mm-hmm. of numbers. Um, and that took us like a year or something, a year and a half to actually get those numbers reliably spitting out of the interface. And then once they hit your computer, you're faced with this big 
question, which is like, uh oh, <laughs> like what do what we do, do, do now? Like, <laughs> just like you could said, do anything. They could do anything, and they don't do anything on their own. They're just like, hey, look mm-hmm, at me, yeah. I'm a number. Um, so we did. We started with really basic things where we were like, okay, let's take the numbers from the valves and map them to some sine waves. You know, just like goofy things, mm-hmm. but it was really satisfying, and they were good proof. It was a good proof of concept to make sure it worked. Um, that got old really quickly because you start to yeah. realize like, oh, I've just gone and rendered my trumpet useless as an instrument. I've just gone and accidentally turned it into a controller where now every time I push down a valve, it triggers this sine wave. But, you know, do you understand what I, like it's it, yeah, it like, sort like of you're, forces you're playing you... sine waves with the trumpet, not playing trumpet into something right. else exactly yeah. and like, like you, instead you, can, of... you could do this in midi with a with a keyboard at that point yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah so i think the next direction we went with that was um we collected some pre-recorded samples of trumpet sounds mm. and then we used the valves to trigger playback on those samples so that way the sound was separated from my action a little bit more So I could actually Mm -hmm. improvise on the horn as I normally would. And when I would lift up valves or push down different combinations, it would just set these uh, this playback of these pre-recorded samples into motion. So it was a little more like a duet and a little less like Mm -hmm. control sine wave controller. (laughs) I guess also like in, in the practice of improvisation, there's a lot of like kind of give and take so i guess it's now your patch is kind of giving you things to play off of instead of you just doing all the work and the patch is kind of responding to it exactly it was all about really quickly we realized that the one-to-one relationship so the like i push this button and it does this thing that you commonly want in something like a midi controller was not ideal for this because this Mm. was a Mm -hmm. an already fully functional and full featured instrument right that we were just adding, we were augmenting by adding these sensors. So we really mm-hmm. needed to think about it differently. Um, we started to think about, we, we would do things where we would delay the input. Um, this was actually an idea that we got partially from uh, an interview that we were reading that was with Don Buchla. Um, and he was talking yeah. about one of his early instruments. And he was just talking about how he thinks of an electronic instrument as having three main parts an input structure, an output structure, and something to connect those things together. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Seems really simple, but (laughs) as someone who played an acoustic instrument, it was like mind blowing because on a trumpet, those are all connected. Yeah. You know? And so we were like, oh, wow, we can, we can separate input from output in time. Like I can do something and it can manifest a a result, you know, 30 seconds later, five minutes later, and then I'll have Mm -hmm. this surprising thing to respond to in the moment Um, where I can do one action and it can split and fragment and produce 10 results as opposed to one. There's there's a spirit there that is like, I am not the master of this instrument. I am a participant. You know, I am I am partly performing, partly observing. And I just think that's really lovely. So that was like a start of a new (laughs) a new era. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Yeah. I guess before we go uh, any further in MIGSY, could you could you explain what the the MIGSY acronym stands for? I can. It stands for Minimally Invasive Gesture Sensing Interface. And the idea behind it was that we wanted to create something that would the minimally invasive part was that it it shouldn't damage the trumpet. Um, mm. You know, something that could come on and off like in the course of a show, 
or in between songs or something like that was mm -hmm. kind of the goal. And then I guess you have you have gesture sensing in there too. So I guess now that you're in your early stages is getting input output and, and just sensing actions that you do to the the trumpet. Yeah. Uh, how do you start incorporating more just like even a, per a performance element, like examining the movements of the trumpet in the moment and, and drawing data from that? How did that kind of become an idea? Um, yeah, the gesture thing. I, so I was really fixated on seeing if there was a way that I could extract meaningful information from my trumpet and from myself without having to give myself something new to do. This is, mm -hmm. I was reading this article at the time that I was designing Migsy that mentioned, um, it talked about ba bandwidth, like cognitive and performative bandwidth from a musician. So, you know, you're already playing a trumpet, you're dealing with your valves, your slide positions, your breath, your, all of this stuff. And then if you start to think about adding a bunch of sliders or buttons onto the trumpet, you're that like extra brain power, it's going to have to come from somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I was like, okay, what can I do instead of adding buttons and switches and knobs? What can I do to take what I'm already doing? Like the gestures that are inherent to playing trumpet and use mm. those as meaningful control for something else, you know? Yeah. So we have an accelerator. There's an accelerometer that just detects the tilt and movement of the horn in space, um, for example. And there are, tension pressure sense sensors on the along the valve casing where you hold the trumpet with your left hand so you can intentionally squeeze them but even if you're not thinking about it and you're just kind of going about your business you're going to be activating those based on how you're kind of holding and interacting with the horn uh, so those are the kinds of gestures it totally makes sense that you wouldn't want to be kind of playing two instruments at once you just kind of want to augment what's already there and add additional functionality to what you'd already naturally be doing with the trumpet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really what my goal was, especially as, an, a, you know, at this time I was really primarily focused on improvising. Mm -hmm. And I and I was very conscious of the kind of split that happens sometimes where you're going from being an improviser and then over to having to be a technician where you're like, okay, give me a minute while I fix this max patch or, yeah. Yeah. you know, do this thing over here. And it pulls you out of your music making like moment, you know? Uh, so it was all about trying to create a really augmented instrument rather than controller, instrument plus controller. Mm -hmm. And how do you, I guess, deal with that sort of um, trying to ride the line between like, am I making music right now or am I turning knobs to the exact way that I need to and trying to fix everything um, technically? How do you approach that when you're working on something um, straight sort of in a module patch? Um, yeah, that's a really good question too. I think for me, my process is often kind of divided where I'll spend, I'll spend a fair amount of time up front, mm -hmm. either programming something or patching something on the synth yeah, and really exploring it and getting to know it and pushing it, like breaking it on purpose, you know, mm -hmm. so that I'm not afraid. It's something that I see a lot, um, especially with some of my the younger students that I work with with modular synthesis is that they'll they'll be afraid to touch something because they're like I don't know exactly how I got to this sound mm -hmm. so yeah. if I breathe on it it might go away forever so something that I start that I do a lot is I'll I'll build up something and then I'll just push it to all of its all of its extremes often by doing that you discover 
all of these really amazing hidden sound worlds that you probably wouldn't have found otherwise unless you like crank yeah. the filter resonance up into the mm -hmm. stratosphere and did all these weird <laughs> things. And that just gives me the confidence that when I'm in performance mode or improvising mode, um, I know how to get in and out of all of these things. And I also know that if something really weird happens that I'm not planning or that maybe doesn't sound too great, I can get back out of it, you know? And so then when yeah. I'm actually sitting down to do the thing, I try to just leave all of that at the door and I don't think about the patch. I just, you know, listen and play. Mm -hmm. So you can't be trying to save it as like a monolithic, like this is the patch. You have to let it. You just have to let it do what it of, wants. Exactly. And often nine times out of 10, what I do in that preparatory phase does not make it into the performance. And that's fine. It's just all part of the process. Often in the performance, I'll find something completely new. And to me, that's the beauty of improvising because you're discovering sound yeah. in real time, you know? Yeah. So if you, if you can predict kind of the outcome of the performance, then to a certain point, it's not really improvisation as much as it is, as it is yeah, just performance. Like that kind of spontaneity in the moment of having something new and unexpected happen is kind of the whole point of improvisation, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I once had someone tell me that where I should try to strive to be in every improvisation is right at the point where it feels like everything's about to fall apart. <laughs> and that if I can just be yeah. there, like get myself there and hold myself there, then I know that I'm doing, I'm doing it right. And it struck, it was such a striking thing to hear. And, and I, I do think about that now, like if I'm too comfortable and if I'm too sure of what's going to happen next, it means I'm not pushing myself into as far as I could, you know, mm -hmm. into the moment. Yeah. And hearing you talk about kind of your your whole kind of now electroacoustic trumpet philosophy, I guess in MIGSY now you have uh, control over touch, like signal sending from, from the trumpet. You have gesture interpretation, and then you also have um, audio data input that's controlling patches. Mm -hmm. Are those like the, the primary ways that you're manipulating your trumpet or is there something I'm missing? No, I think that's right. Um, over the years, we went from building, you know, a, a patch for each piece mm -hmm. that was very like specific and could only really do execute that piece of music. We we transitioned over into building a much more kind of uh, modular, multi-purpose Max patch, which is what. I currently mm -hmm. work with um, and it was very much uh, inspired by a modular synth design. So the patch itself is not a piece. It's just a tool with which you can create any number of pieces and environments. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, so there's like an input handling section where you can set up an envelope follower, for example, in order to trigger different events or to modulate something. There's a couple different types of processing, like delays and reverbs and granular processing. And then there's also a synthesis engine, like a, the, a, an ability to create sound exclusively from within the computer. And so you can choose in any given performance, do I want to use this or do I just want to use this? Act? Like, do I want to use all of these components or just one or two of them? So it makes the process of iterating a lot easier. You're not starting from scratch with every new patch. I guess, yeah, yeah. you, you, you kind of know the, the parameters of control you have and just picking and choosing for each occasion. Exactly. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, because what I was craving was the ability that, you know, you can sit down at a piano and just play. You don't have to spend, yeah. 
you know, four weeks building your piano every time you want to play, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Unless, so unless you want to be John Cage and just put a bunch of stuff in the strings. <laughs> and that's great too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. That's wonderful. But yeah, I just was, you know, I was really craving the immediacy of it. So that's why we went in this direction. Um, and then to answer your question more directly, yes, it's the pressure. There's like the sensors on the horn. So valve movement, the instrument movement, the hand tension, and then there is the audio signal from the trumpet itself, which I use both as a thing to process, and I also use it as a control source. Mm. And then I guess the, the things that you would be controlling are max patches and, and modular synths that would then kind of additionally augment the, the trumpet sound naturally. Exactly. And then because feedback is my favorite thing, I will often send that sound back into the process that's being run on like my trumpet sound, for example, yeah. and it just becomes a big web. <laughs> Yeah. So earlier this month, uh, I guess March 5th, uh, you released this EP called Mass. And it, it's three tracks, I guess, um, just mm -hmm. about 30 minutes, uh, maybe a little bit over in length. And just from my listens, I've, I've just been struck by how the diversity of sounds that are on the EP and just the total, um, like, I, I can't even recognize it as a as a trumpet for a lot of parts. So I'm very surprised when I when I kind of looked in the the notes of the EP and saw that it's really just trumpet, uh, the sense you're controlling the trumpet with, or the sense that the trumpet is controlling, and maybe voice. So can you kind of speak to maybe what you kind of wanted to do sonically with this EP, or what kind of the the philosophy behind making it was? Now that we've kind of understood the the tools that you're working with. Yeah, of course. Uh, so this. This EP was actually pretty different for me um, in pro in terms of process. I mentioned a few a little while ago how I I often will spend a lot of time preparing, right, building a patch and getting to know it and breaking mm -hmm. it, and then and then I'll just play, right, and I'll like usually do everything live in one shot as, as an improvisation. With this EP though, I was really interested. I was spending a lot of time listening to a lot of classic tape music from the nineteen fifties. And 1960s, which is just such an incredible world to dive into. Um, and a lot of that music, if you're not familiar with it, is, you know, kind of collage based, like they would record a sound onto a piece of onto some tape and then they would cut up the tape and reverse it and speed it up and slow it down and layer it with other sounds. And they would make these very impossible uh, otherworldly collages out of everyday sounds like footsteps and trains going by and doors closing and all that kind of stuff. And I just yeah. find that sound world so fun. So that was actually kind of the approach that I took with this album. Um, I had a bunch of sessions where I would just play very freely and very kind of childishly with a bunch of stuff. There are a few more things, a few more sound sources than what you mentioned. I also used a lot of household objects like cookie trays and teacups mm. and books and just random stuff that I found lying around the house, C cactus. But I would just play freely. And then I took all those sounds and I, I worked with them. And again, Ryan Gaston was involved in this heavily as well. Um, we worked together a lot on these projects mm -hmm. and we would just kind of rearrange everything in, in a DAW. So it was very much kind mm -hmm. of assembled from these improvisations. So would you say it was more, it was different from the other stuff in that it was more sort of focused on um, making this collage of other sounds rather than the other stuff being sort of more single round of like improvisation driven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my first album, 
um, underneath and Sonder from a couple of years ago was, you know, months and months and months of programming and figuring everything out. And then I went into the studio, pushed record and did it all in one take. And that was the album. Mm-hmm. This was kind of the opposite. Like I, I let myself record all of the weird setting up process and some of the half like half designed sounds actually were quite beautiful like my cat walked by at one point and like meowed loudly into the microphone and that got captured in the delay line and (laughs) so it was very much just a kind of spontaneous playful process and then afterward we used those as like building blocks basically and we kind of assembled everything yeah yeah it's kind of interesting that you describe this as sort of a more I guess maybe not complex, but more like involved process of recording all these sort of different things compared to the other work. Cause, um, you also did this sort of while you're in the middle of moving in a few weeks. So do you want to speak about that experience? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was funny. I had no intention of making this album. It wasn't planned. I just had this little semi-modular synthesizer and my trumpet and, um, And a couple of these funny, you know, these objects that I said, like, that's part of the reason why I used those is because I didn't have my studio. Everything was that Mm -hmm. was uh, in storage. But there was something that happened where I just got so inspired by the simplicity of the setup, the reduced palette, the reduced tools. It was, I don't know, it just kind of was liberating. And I Mm -hmm. got sucked Mm -hmm. into it. And I was spending hours and hours and hours capturing all of these sounds. Um. We made one track first, which was the last one on the album. And then we're, and it all came together in like 24 hours. And then we were like, whoa, I think we should probably, I think I should probably keep going and Mm -hmm. make, build this out a little bit because there's something here that's more than just like playtime, you know? Um, So that's, yeah, it was, it was wild. We, there was a lot of cardboard boxes around me the entire time. (laughs) Very inspirational. (laughs) Um, and the whole thing came together in just about a month. But, you know, what I learned from that, not to sound cheesy, I don't mean to sound cheesy by saying this, but what I learned from that is when those moments of inspiration kind of do rear their head, you should go for it because mm-hmm. it's just a, it means there's something there that needs to kind of be explored and to come out. And um, I could have justified or calculated my way away from it a million different ways. Like, oh gosh, I'm in the middle of a move. I don't have any of my instruments. Like I recorded most of it at a kitchen table in a rent in a short-term rental, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But I'm so glad that I just committed to that strange burst of inspiration because yeah, you know, it's a cool, uh, kind of snapshot of this strange time in my life. (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty interesting place to be creatively, I guess, now that you, you've kind of stripped away your studio of all the things that you might um, have usually relied on. And now you have just kind of what's available to you in the moment. Would you say that kind of having that limited sound source and that limited palette of tools just gave you more freedom to, to, to in the moment, make whatever was coming from your, your inspiration? Yeah. I mean, one thing for sure is that when you reduce your tools and your it does help you make those decisions, you know, mm-hmm. because you can't infinitely reach for another plugin or another whatever that you've got. Yeah. Um, for me, it was it was partly just the pure like riding the wave of of whatever this yeah this inspiration was, um, and just kind of being focused on it and and having the 
the momentum from that that I just saw through and then it was done and I was like, okay, well, I could sit on it needlessly for six months or I could just, you know, I don't think that validates it anymore mm -hmm. if it if it takes longer. So maybe I'll just release it. And then yeah. the other thing for me is it was a bit of a challenge to see if if I could do that. And, and that's just a personal thing because often I do sit on projects for a very long time and, and I will take year a year longer to decide that something's done. And mm -hmm. I just wanted, you know, I'm constantly looking for ways to kind of see if that's the way it actually needs to be just because it's what I'm doing. Is that actually the right way to do things or mm. <laughs> the only way to do things? So I kind of saw an opportunity to see if I could turn something around that quickly. And, and I took the challenge. I think it's a good exercise because, mm. you know, often the best the the best take is the first take you know we've all know that yeah. we've kind of had that experience before so this is a very similar thing it's just a slightly different perspective i guess it's just more trusting your instincts than trusting right. in, in the process cuz i feel like there's there's so many ways that musicians can kind of get can get focused on the process and on the tweaking and on the perfection but i think once you get to a point when you're comfortable enough in your craft and you kind of have enough tools that you're familiar with and have the kind of deep knowledge of you can just kind of in the moment, do whatever comes natural. And then that's going to be the truest form of, of that performance. Yeah. It's like we, you know, just because it sometimes is hard doesn't mean it needs to be hard. <laughs> mm, yeah. And if it's easy, if it comes effortlessly to you and it feels like it's a really inspired moment, like that's a good thing. A lot of the time people will be yeah. like, something's wrong. This isn't good enough because <laughs> it was so easy. It's like, no, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> you should mm -hmm. embrace that. So I guess look, looking back on the album now, this release, um, do you have any like favorite moments or maybe kind of in the making of any kind of memories that uh, you think kind of really speak to um, the end result? Yeah, I love there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, the second track collide the entire there's this it's very aggressive sounding and it's very percussive. Mm -hmm. And just driving, yeah. like it's kind of just goes and goes and goes. And the the main percussion sound was actually the the cookie tray, and I just love that. Mm. I love oh, knowing yeah. that this like <laughs> big, crazy, overdriven percussion sound was me sitting on the floor with a cookie tray in my hand. It makes me it just brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> um, so I think the lesson from that that I'm taking with me into future projects is just not to underestimate the the sound that's kind of everywhere, you know, the potential mm. of sound that's hiding in all of these unexpected or unsuspecting objects. Um, yeah. Cause I just, you know, it was a whim. I was like, this will be funny. And, and it was, <laughs> it was such a good sound. And I'm so grateful that I just let myself do that. Um, the other, I guess the other moment is the beginning, the first track, there's kind of like a quiet, a choral aspect to it. Um, mm -hmm. That's yeah. passage, but it's very weird and murky and kind of not quite right. And um, I had this image in my mind of wandering through kind of like an old area of like a city or something where you're, there's all these different, you know, sounds and scenes and things kind of flying by. We are capturing like little sections, fragments of ideas. And mm -hmm. you hear like, you know, I don't know if you, you walk into like a big old building, like an old warehouse or an old cathedral or something. And it's just very murky and dusty. And you can like hear people practicing or singing down the mm -hmm. corner around the hall and like 
up a flight of stairs or something. And it's all just like echoing through. So it was that idea. And I, I recorded the choir. I, obviously it was all me. So I recorded each layer, but Mm. I didn't, I intentionally didn't reference what I was, what I had done in the previous takes because Mm. I wanted to, to really be this kind of memory, like let the imprint, the memory imprint of each previous take determine what I did in the next one. And then I just layered them all together. So it sounds very strange. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not necessarily, I, I didn't make the same kinds of musical decisions as I probably would have done if I had been traditionally multi-tracking um, yeah. or I could hear what I had done before. And I really like how it turned out. It was a different kind of process, but yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really cool to hear kind of now look, looking more into your, the making of this album um, just kind of how how in the moment and kind of uh, spontaneous it was because I feel like kind of myself coming from like music academia you kind of have this image of like electroacoustic music as being just super serious and super thought out and you have this kind of image of like all these European dudes just like very serious trying to make the the crunchiest darkest sounds possible but like I think it's fun that you know you're making uh, electroacoustic music in your kitchen with a cookie pan and with a cactus Oh, and like, yeah. you know, there, it's it's just like any other music. Like there's there's a, a level of like kind of fun and enjoyment to have in a process, even if the result is kind of very otherworldly and dark kind of atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm just motivated by the sound, like searching for the sounds. And then I find something and I'm like a kid in a candy store, whatever that expression is, where I'm just yeah. like, gosh, you know, like an interesting squeaky door i'll stand there for like 20 minutes and squeak it <laughs> oh, and just yeah. listen to it you know like my cabinet i've i've learned that the cabinet in my kitchen if you put different amounts of pressure on it will squeak at different tones so if you're very careful you can oh, actually yeah. like play a melody on it and those are just amazing things i love finding things like that so that's kind of what it felt like the whole spirit of this album came out of that space mm-hmm. <laughs> like just discovery and and play yeah yeah so I guess now that the the mass album has has dropped, I guess looking forward, what's what would you say is kind of the next step in your creative process? Or are you kind of thinking you'll take what you learned from the mass album and and go forward with that? Or are you thinking the whatever comes next is going to be a, a totally different, totally new frontier? Um, a new frontier. I like that. Exactly. Um, I think as usual, probably a bit of both is kind of how I tend to work. I am working on a new album. Um, Actually, I started it before. So this is a perfect example of a long project. I started it, you know, last year sometime. Um, But it just, it's a different process. It's very much like a, you know, it just, it it needs to be slower. So I'm letting it be slower. Um, (laughs) Whereas mass needed to be quick. So I I kind of embraced that. Um, But it's a bit of a combination. You know, I'm, it's all going to be music for specifically Buchla modular synths, um, because mm-hmm. I'm really interested in really exploring their sound world and kind of, again, focusing the the world, the, the palette a bit. Um, trumpets and voice. So Buchla, trumpets and voice. And I think I'm going to pull some of the ideas from mass over um, in terms of allowing myself to just collage, do work with sound collage and kind of compile and assemble things after the fact. But I'm also mm-hmm. going to go back to what I more typically do, which is pushing record and improvising and letting that immediate snapshot become like a pretty important part of the piece as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, if, if people listening would want to kind of stay 
in touch with your creative output and, and just follow your music, uh, where can they find your work? What, uh, what kind of platforms are you on? I have a website and I am also on Patreon and I have a Bandcamp page. So those are the three main areas. Are you just kind of found as Sarah Bell Reed across the board? Yes, I try to keep it simple. So Sarah Bell Reed on all of those places should bring you to me. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you.